Shalom Aguathian. So I am trying to do catch-up episodes, and um, I am late doing the unclean laws. Um, and it looks like I probably will have to do Mother's Day next year. <laughs> and I think there was something else I missed too. It's just that I can't keep up. There you go. There you have it. But I'm trying to, um, there's been a lot of stuff going on in the home life and it's been keeping me very preoccupied, very busy, very tired. And so I am trying to still do everything and it, the vision changes as I go along because, you know, the reading for the Torah portion with the, the unclean laws, it covered, um, chapters 12 13 14 and 15 and so I didn't I didn't want to skimp on them because people have a lot of questions about them and so I originally I was going to do like the whole Torah portion in one episode but as I started looking at the information I'm like you know that'll be very very long and it's going to take me longer to get it out and I won't be able to go as in-depth, and so I think I will just break them up. And so that's what I'm doing. So today's episode is on Leviticus chapter 12. Leviticus chapter 12. And if you don't know about Leviticus chapter 12, it's not that long. Uh, But it does cover uncleanness uh, after childbirth. So... Uh, obviously lots of women will have children and um, for some people it's the first time that they've had a child since they've been in the truth and so yeah there's some things that you're supposed to adhere to by law by Levitical law uh, and not everybody does or not everybody understands so I'm going to do um, my best to kind of break it down Alright, let me start off by reading Leviticus 12, verses 1 and 2. Verses 1 and 2. Elohim spake unto Masha, saying, Speak unto the children of Yasha Allah, saying, If a woman have conceived a seed and born a man-child, then she shall be unclean seven days. According to the days of the separation of her infirmity, shall she be unclean. So, when a woman has a boy, child, then she's to be unclean for seven days to begin with. That's just the starter. I don't know. Okay, so somebody might say, why is it broken up like this? I don't know. It just is. So we'll just discuss it the way it's written. Okay. So during that time, she's supposed to remain in um, a state of separation. Uh, the Hebrew word for that is nadath separation the Hebrew word is nadath Um, and if you refer to Strong's definition it's Hebrews 5079 Uh, no I'm sorry it is H5079 H5079 and it generally uh, means rejection impurity uh, personal menstruation, um, or in, when you're talking about morally, it means idolatry or incest. 
It has an association with filthiness. It's also referred to as flowers or the menstruation of a woman. So it means put apart, removed, separation, set apart. Um, And again, related to filthiness. When you look at the word infirmity, that's H1738. It is pronounced dawa, and it means to be sick as in uh, menstruation, okay? Uh, And, okay, so you're going to have to listen to my next episode, Leviticus 15, where I give you like a full, full breakdown of what it means to be nadas or separated, but to get you started, you need to look at Leviticus 15 through 19. Um, and it explains what nidaf is, how to go about nidaf being set apart. Um, so you'll be able to get a more full understanding when I put that episode out. But I'm going to give you a summation. And it basically means while you're unclean, anyone that touches you, they become unclean. And they need to wash their bodies. Um, they need to rinse their bodies in water, rinse their clothes in water. And then at night, when you begin the new day, then that person that touches the woman that's having her flow will then become clean, okay? So it means um, any person who touches you, your body, the woman, anybody, anybody who touches where the woman sits or where the woman lays down, so like a chair, a couch, or bed, um, you know, uh, a bench, any of those places. If there's a woman that's unclean, she sits down, you come behind her and you sit down where she was sitting. Now you become unclean as well until the evening. Um, now the woman, she's unclean for a specified time, which would be seven days minimum. Okay. Uh, whether she's bleeding or not, it's the full seven days that she has to be unclean. Um, so just the same way you have seven day minimum, we'll go into the specified times for the woman after childbirth. We already know it's seven days starts for the boy child, but then it continues. So, um, that's it in, in a nutshell, like you're supposed to be set apart. Um, when somebody comes into contact with you, they're unclean until the evening and they have to rinse their body and their clothes in order to be clean when the new day starts. So that is it in a nutshell. And so that means for the woman, she's not supposed, the woman who is unclean, um, she's not supposed to be coming in contact with other people, especially on holy days. And, um, you know, and there's some nuances to this. Don't, this is not across the board. This is a generalization. Um, and there also, it means that she is not supposed to cook. Uh, for anybody other than herself, um, provided that she's not in the common areas, okay? Um, So again, like I said, there's nuances. It can be done. It can be done. Um, But there's a lot of people who will not adhere to it because it's inconvenient. And then you have to ask yourself, well, is it more important to be obedient or... um, Convenient, And then ask yourself, well, why are we in this position of captivity? 
And I will tell you, it's because we did not follow the law, statutes, and commandments that the Most High gave us. Therefore, one should reconsider the concept that I do not want to do this because it's inconvenient. And so I don't think I should do it. I don't think I need to do it. Because then you're going right back to the initial reason that we're in this captivity, which is disobedience to the law. So you have a lot to think about. Um, now, I think I did say you're not supposed to, you're supposed to stay set apart. You're not supposed to cook. Um, as somebody who is unclean, you are not supposed to attend any holy convocations. That means no Shabbat service. That means no Kadash feast or no new moon feast. That means no Passover, no Pentecost, no feast of booze, no day of atonement. You're not supposed to go to those. Can you observe them privately? Yes, you can. Leviticus 2.3 And on the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. Him, he, him, his, his, his is the, the baby. So when the baby is eight days old... He is supposed to be circumcised. And what is circumcised? For those of you who don't know, when baby little boy babies are born, they're born with additional skin on the tip of their penis, and it's kind of wrinkly and loose. Um, and so briefly what happens is that um, that bit of skin, and you can there's you could do research on it, but historically there was just like a little snip and um the full glands or the head wasn't even fully exposed all like that it was just a snip over time um especially when there was hellenization um and people um it was seen as a negative to be circumcised um on the flip side when the um israelites then began to um react to that where people were 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 making themselves appear to be uncircumcised people being men by hanging weights on their skin and bringing that skin back down so what they ended up doing they ended up cutting more skin off and so that's why you now you'll see more of the exposed glands um and more skin taken off and it was in a response to the hellenization so it it made circumcisions be more more of a surgical procedure and it made it to be more of something that was going to be irreversible so that's a little bit of history on circumcision also something interesting about circumcision um in the eighth day specifically um is that if you've ever had a baby you'll know that they give vitamin k to the babies now you can get vitamin k shots which i don't necessarily recommend not to say that i've never done them that's quite the contrary uh, but you know generally speaking anything that's been formulated into a shot has some sort of um toxins in them so while they might not have anything that would be unlawful in them as a as let's say um you know, fetal tissue or horse blood or monkey brains, where you see some of that in the immunizations in general. The vitamin K, from the research that I've done, 
I didn't see any of those, but you have to look. It's also going to depend on the manufacturer. So if the man, so every manufacturer has their own formulation. So while they may not have, so you would have to, of course, check with the place where you're going to deliver and they'll know what um, brand they have and they can look at the box or whatever and you can see, or you can see, yeah, what the brand is. They'll tell you what the brand is and you can look online and you can communicate with them. Obviously, these are things that you would want to do prior to uh, being at the hospital and having the baby and having to decide on the spot whether or not you're going to do the vitamin K. Um, and then there's an option where you can get an oral vitamin K. And sometimes um, they have it in different um, dosages and it might not be just a one um, administration of that oral vitamin K. I know when I did it with my daughter, I had to give it to her a few times um, I think like they gave me like three pills. It had to be cut in half. I don't really recall. Maybe they didn't have to be cut in half, but they had to be crushed up and then they had to be administered, I think in juice or milk or something. It was easy peasy, but, um, it was not what they do conventionally and you, I had to ask for it. And so, and then they gave me, a, when she was at the hospital, there was actually a, a liquid version of it that they gave her, but they didn't have that at the pharmacy. Um, so, you know, we worked around it, but one thing about vitamin K is that, you know, a lot of people who are against vaccines may not, may say that, oh, well, you can just eat a bunch of green vegetables, eat a bunch of carrots, and you can store up enough to give baby. That is not the case. Vitamin K does not store up well in the human body. Um, and so no matter how much you eat, you're not going to, more than likely, you're not going to be able to effectively transfer enough vitamin K to baby through breast milk alone. And what is vitamin K for? Vitamin K is for blood. Higher levels of vitamin K help with blood clotting. So what do you need that for? Well, for some reasons, some babies inexplicably have brain bleeding if they don't get enough vitamin K. And of course, with brain bleeding, it can cause um, serious irreversible damage and it could also cause death. So once upon a time when everybody was getting vitamin K, there were no cases of the brain bleeding. But now that people are against vaccinations, they are also including the vitamin K and excluding that. And now the medical field is experiencing cases of infantile brain bleeding, uh, which is caused, like I said, um, irreversible brain damage and or death. So I do advocate getting um, at least the oral supplement for the vitamin K so that you don't have to have that heartbreak and hardship of having a baby that has, you know, spontaneous brain bleeding and you could have prevented it. So with that being said, I wouldn't advocate the shot, but I would say look into the um, the oral supplement. Now, 
getting back to that, one thing about the circumcision is that the Most High knows what he's doing. And so the Most High has set it up so that on the eighth day, that is going to be when babies, um, levels of vitamin K are at its highest, independent of any supplement, supplement, okay? So independent of any supplement, on the eighth day, babies' um, vitamin K levels are going to be at their highest, meaning when they're supposed to be getting circumcised, that ability to clot blood is at its highest. So, like I said, the Most High knows what he's doing. So from a biblical standpoint, let me read to you Genesis 17, 10 through 14, 17, 10 through 14, so you can understand the purpose of circumcision. Okay, so I'm at verse 10, Genesis 17, 10. I apologize now for all of the background noise. I didn't know they were going to be doing service, although they do service like all the time. And it always seems to seems like when we have a, a Kadash that they have a service. So today's Kadash for me. And I just thought I'd be able to knock this out. But there's a bunch going on. The baby's girl is sick. There's people selling stuff. Their door keeps opening because my children cannot leave me alone to do stuff by myself. And... Um, there's church going on with like every, when they have church it's like a concert so that's what that extra layer of music is okay um so anyway genesis 17:10. this is my covenant which ye shall keep between me and you and thy seed after thee every man child among you shall be circumcised and ye shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin and it shall be a token of the covenant betwixt me and you and he that is eight days old okay so yeah let me say this okay so we just read 10 and 11 and it says every male child is supposed to be circumcised so every boy is supposed to have the foreskin taken or removed off of his penis the tip of his penis as a token, which is a sign of remembrance of the covenant, the covenant being a pledge or an alliance between Yahweh and Yashar'Allah. So that's what that means. That's why we do this. Um, let's go to verse 12 and 13. So it says, And he that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you, every man child in your generations. He that is born in the house or brought, bought with money of any stranger which is not of thy seed. 13. He that is born in thy house and he that is bought with thy money must needs be circumcised. And my covenant shall be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. So... This means every man-child is to be circumcised on the eighth day for all of our generations. So it's something that we're always supposed to do even now. And so any man that is a stranger, stranger being of another nation, that is not Yashar Allah, which people call Goayim sometimes, but Goayim just means nation. So... 
any nation, but so any stranger that is with us um, or any male child that is a servant and bought with money. So basically anyone in your household, whether they're a blood relative, whether they're a servant, whether they are just a worker, you know, like a, a stranger that's just dwelling with you and he maybe he's a contract employee, but anyone that's in our land that is male is supposed to be circumcised. And if they have a child while they're with us, that child is supposed to be circumcised also on the eighth day. Because these laws are for all nations, okay? Don't forget that. Everybody, all these nations are supposed to be adhering to the law the same way we do. So, um, back to what I was saying, that that covenant is in that flesh of the foreskin. And it is a promise that is forever that the Most High made to Yashar Allah. As, and that was just us as Yashar Allah, us as human beings, circumcising the flesh of our little boys on the eighth day is a promise that is supposed to be forever uh, particularly for between Yasha Allah and Yahweh but as Yasha Allah we're supposed to be the enforcers and making sure that it's getting done with those people that are believers that fall under our umbrella I hope I was clear so let me just tell you this now there I have seen where there's been certain circumstances where um there's medical situations where the child cannot be circumcised on the eighth day. Okay? Very, there's various reasons why that happens. But you are still supposed to get the child circumcised. So maybe they're not physically able to do it on the eighth day for some reason. Well, you know, as soon as it can happen, you need to make it happen. That also means that, you know, for people who are coming, men that are coming into the truth and we're not circumcised because believe it or not, when you leave the um, westernized countries, circumcision is not really a thing. So, um, you know, maybe um, in a lot of in a lot of a lot American countries, um, the Caribbean, circumcision is not a thing. So there's a lot of Yasha Allah that's coming into the knowledge of who they are, coming into covenant with the Most High, but are not circumcised. So they might be grown men, but they still need to get circumcised. So that's why one of the reasons they want you to do it at an early age is because it's a lot less of a medical procedure uh, for a little baby than it is for a grown man. So, but even nonetheless, even though it is more of a medical procedure, even though it's it's more painful, even though the recovery process takes a little longer, it is still feasible and it is still required by the most high. Now, I will tell you this, a lot of times it is not covered in your insurance. It's an elective procedure that is done if you're, if you're having it done as an adult, okay? So, save up. You know, this is the thing. We all put money towards things. And a lot of times, you know, we put more money towards things that are not as important as keeping the covenant with the most high. And so you do have to prioritize. 
you know sometimes you might have to sacrifice in order to be obedient but that sacrifice will pay off its spiritual reward trust and believe and if you don't have the faith that's where you're having an issue i don't have i can't put this money to the side because i must do this and da 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 you know you have to find a way to make it work in order to be obedient in the most high when he sees your willingness to sacrifice and he sees your willingness to be obedient at a cost that you know whatever cost comes to you then you can receive that spiritual reward and a lot of times that spiritual reward is manifested in um financial compensation or a blessing of some other way that you were lacking because you put your faith into getting this done but now the most high is blessing you with this ability to provide this thing that you're lacking so let me keep moving um verse 14 and the uncircumcised man child whose flesh of his foreskin is not circumcised that soul shall be cut off from his people he hath broken my covenant so that's why I say it's even if you're not circumcised or your husband or your child or your loved one, your fiance or whatever is not circumcised. That's why you have to know these things and say, you know what, hun, babe, you know, we need to get this done because we don't want you. We don't know when Yahweh is coming back. We don't want you to fall into this category of uncircumcised physically. Even though you might be circumcised of the heart, we want you to fall into this actual physical circumcision and not be cut off from your people. So this is my idea. Of course, I'm presuming you come up with an idea. This is my idea of how we're going to make this happen. Because, you know, when you live in America, you don't realize that there's a whole other world out there that views circumcision differently. And, you know, if you're close to, like, the... um, the Mexico border, you might be able to get it done really cheaply, but you'll have to find somebody that's, that does it, okay? Um, which leads me to the next topic of conversation with, with circumcision, regarding to circumcision, is how do I get it done on the eighth day, Shara? Um, my answer to you is, well, there's different ways, Okay. So know this, you need to start looking into these options early, meaning, again, not when you're under the gun, not when you have delivered your baby, oh, it's a boy, that's what I do suggest, and you know, it's up to you, obviously, you don't have to, but finding out the gender of your baby um, can mean a lot less work for you in the long run, so if you don't know if you're having a boy or girl, then you're going to have to investigate these options as, as, you know, to plan for the event that you have a baby boy and they need circumcision on the eighth day. Um, but if you know you're having a girl, then you don't have to worry about it so much. So you have other things to deal with and you can focus on what clothes you want, what color scheme you want, all that stuff. It doesn't have, it doesn't matter. But when you're dealing with having a little boy and getting that, you only have eight days. Eight days after having a baby is not a lot of time because the first two days, you're usually in the hospital. So, yeah, it doesn't leave a lot of time for, you know, planning on the spur of the moment. And I say this because most hospitals' policies are, and you have to call, you have to see, 
Um, most hospital policies are they'll circumcise baby on like day one, maybe day two, but more than likely, you know, baby's not going to be there on the eighth day. You're going to get discharged on day two or three. One, two, or three just depends on where you are. And once you're discharged, they will not, they won't let you come back and do the circumcision most places. So what that means is that you have to find somebody else to do it. And if you don't have a lot of money, of course, and if you have medical coverage already, of course, you're going to want to try to do it with the insurance, right? So what does that mean? That means, okay, there are two options. Pediatricians will do circumcisions in their office. Some of them will. You have to ask. I can't tell you which ones. I can tell you that it is an option. Um, and that means, that means one, you have to, um, your pediatrician really will want to know you and because you're not a patient. The baby's not a patient until the baby goes. And sometimes certain certain um, pediatricians have a policy in place where you have to go um, and have your first initial visit before they'll really do anything for you. But they might not be able, their first initial visit, um, which is a special appointment, might not be for a month. <coughs> I had that problem one time because um, I have challenges with breastfeeding. Um, <clears throat> And therefore, my babies, if I'm not um, really, really careful and if I'm not supplementing, <clears throat> my babies will have um, be diagnosed with failure to thrive and they will want to admit the babies into the hospital. I've had it with two babies. Um, <clears throat> and I've been borderline with the others. So, um, but... So when I knew I was, I knew how the thing was supposed to work and I <clears throat> called for an appointment and they're like, oh, you have to have an initial appointment um, because the baby's not a, um, a patient. They're, the baby's not an established patient and those are blocked for longer time frames and they're further away, further out. So they were just basically telling me like my baby needs to come in and get away, a, a weight check but they were saying that they were not able to do that because the baby's not an established patient for at least a month. I'm like, my baby can't wait that long. But I was an established mother of other patients with that, with that doctor. And I'm like, um, let me talk to him. Can you have him call me, please? So he called me and he's like, oh, yeah, that's not acceptable. Yeah, we need to get the baby in here. So I'll talk with the people I need to talk with and we'll get you an appointment. And he made it happen. And actually, he actually changed policy when they had a meeting about, um, like, when they had, like, a, I don't know what kind of meeting. When they had a meeting, he brought up the issue and he said that we can't do this to our mothers and our babies that are, you know, newborns. They need to be able to come in and have checks. You know, you can do that with adults who are new patients, but you can't do that with little babies. So <clears throat> that's why I say, you know, it's good to know your pediatrician or your doctor beforehand so that, you know, certain instances arrive. And this is going to be a, a, a circumcision is going to be a special case, okay? Because he's not going to be an established patient and they need to get him in there after you've been released after two or three days. That only leaves, what, five, six days for you to get things done because you can't pre-schedule it because you don't know when he's coming, right? 
not unless you have a c-section so there's all of these different variables that come into play now i know we had a pediatrician with our second son and he's like yeah i can do um circumcision and he came and saw the baby at the hospital did a little checkup he's like oh but the eighth day falls on a sunday mm, that's my church day and my husband's like well you can't just you know like kind of pop in and do it real fast he's like no uh that's my church day i'm off i won't do it so we had to come up with other another option um and i'll go into that in a minute so another way to do it and i've heard of women having success in this is that they got baby in to a urologist who was with a urologist as a specialist so obviously this was something that was covered by insurance but they had to they had to pull the religion card they had to get on the phone with management they had to work hard to make it happen so you know a lot of times they'll the first response to the from the doctor's offices will be like no we can't accommodate you um but don't take no as no. Sometimes you have to go further and you have to talk to just the right person and that right person will get you in. Oh, it's for religion. Oh, you need to do, oh, you're, you, and you can say, I'm follow the laws of the Jews or something along that line. Don't, you don't have to say you're Jewish, but you can say, I follow Torah. I follow Torah and Torah says we have to have it on the eighth day. And he was born on such and such day. Okay. So one thing about days and circumcision is that if baby is born, so go back to Genesis 1, right? From night, yeah, night and day was one day. At the conclusion of the, the daylight, you started the next, uh, the next day. So that still applies for when you're counting days for baby. And when you're counting days for time of separation. So meaning, when you, if you have baby during the day, If you have baby during the daytime, then at the end of that day, when the when the sun goes all the way, all the way down, baby has completed day number one. So even if baby is born, if baby boy is born or baby girl is born at you know eight o'clock p.m. and the sun, we go by astronomical twilight, and the sun goes fully, fully down at 9 p.m. At 9 p.m., baby boy, baby girl has completed day number one. You have completed day number one of your time of separation. Even though it's not a 24-hour time frame, we're not dealing with 24 hours, we're dealing with biblical days, okay? So that means if baby, you know, you have to keep track of um, the sun, if you're cutting it close. So you need to know if baby is born on, so for example, my baby, number two, he was born right, 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 right after the sun went down, after Shabbat, okay? So he was not born on the Shabbat. I did labor during the Shabbat, um, but he was not born during Shabbat. He was born right after. So, Saturday to Sunday was day number one for him. Okay, he got to have a full day out of <laughs> out of his womb, out of my womb. He had a full whole day. But um, so Saturday, Sunday, Sunday, Monday, Monday, Tuesday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Thursday, Friday, Friday, Saturday, Saturday to Sunday. That's why his eighth day was on Sunday, 
and his eighth day fell on the weekend and the pediatrician was like nah i'm off y'all gotta figure out something else or come in on monday that was his answer and that's not mind you we could have taken that but you know we were passionate about getting it done on the correct day so we went to option number three option number three is a moyle which is a, a jewish person person jewish man that does circumcisions for the jewish community now my husband had to call around there were people that were like no we're not gonna do that for you because you're not like a jew in the sense that you're not jewish by religion you haven't done whatever the ceremony is i do not know it in order to be a converted jew so but we did find finally so you might have to call around that's why i say that we i know of somebody that does uh, a moil that does circumcisions and he's done several for us and he's done some for some other israelites that we know um in ohio and he'll travel to the ohio areas and stuff also like he does cincinnati he he was in columbus he'll do uh, probably Kentucky and areas like that, but he'll travel and do that and you have to pay him. It's not an insurance thing, but, and he is actually, see, these are one of the things that you want to know is like, well, they have a certain ceremony, um, and it's, doesn't include Yahusha. It includes Elijah. And there were things about it that we didn't particularly want to include in our circumcision ceremony and naming ceremony because traditionally that's the day you named your baby boy also but we didn't want to include that and he was willing to work with us not every moyle will so that's why it's important for you to call and talk to them and try to find somebody ahead of time and so they can actually kind of be knowing that they're going to be doing this for you and kind of plan accordingly so um I know, I don't know how much it is now, but I know we paid about $300 for the process. The last time we used him personally for our family was about 13 years ago. So his prices may have gone up since then, I don't know. But I know some mommies don't want to be able to see it. And that's one of the things, when you have a moil, you're right there, front and center. If you have the pediatrician, a pediatrician or the urologist usually takes baby to a separate room and you're not involved in it at all. They don't really want Abba there. They don't want Amma there because it can be traumatic for the parents um, and it's easier for them to do their thing without any of that. And um, honestly, to be for real with you, it's a liability issue too because if they mess up you can't and you see it, then you can hold them more accountable. But with all that being said, when you have a moyle and they come to your home and you know, you're know you right there front and center, you see everything. You see the clamp go on, you see the cutting, the baby screaming, the baby gets to get a little bit of wine because that's like a calming, soothing anesthetic. Um, and Amma's there to breastfeed after the fact to make baby feel a little bit better and comforted if the baby's tired afterwards. Um, but yeah, that's one of the, the advantages and disadvantages because the advantages you can see what's going on you can see exactly what's being done you can pray for baby you can have a say in how the whole procedure is done from a spiritual sense from a spiritual aspect but it can be 
emotional, especially for mom and all of her hormones, to see little baby crying and screaming and in pain. But that is what is commanded of us and it is for the greater good. Okay, so I'm breaking it up a little bit, but we're going into Leviticus chapter 12, verse 4. And she shall continue in the blood of her purifying three and thirty days. Shall she touch no hallowed thing, nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purifying be filled. Now, she obviously is the ama or the mommy that just had the baby. Um, getting back to the mother in Leviticus 12. And so she's supposed to be unclean for 33 more days. So it says three and 30 days, okay? So I'm gonna count this out for you, okay? We started off with seven days. Then she has one day, which is the eighth day, where is the day for the circumcision. And then from that day, she's supposed to go another. And she shall can they continue and the blood of her purifying three and 30 days. So she's supposed to continue for 33 more days. Add seven, one, and 33, you get 41 days. So it's not 40 days, it's 41 days because at the eighth day, let's face it, she's still bleeding. When she leaves that circumcision, she is still going to be set apart. Um, she might have some interactions with, um, you know, some family members, maybe, maybe not, I don't know, just in the fact that, you know, they're coming to see the baby, that's the baby's naming day, that's the baby's circumcision day, which is a big deal, and so, you know, obviously, a lot of times, people say, hey, you didn't want to see mom and everything and see how she's doing, well, yada, 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 but from there, 33 more days, giving you a total of 41 days, oh, and we see that she's not, during this whole 41 days, she's not supposed to, um, Well, at least for the 33 days, because this is the thing that that circumcision, I don't exactly know how it happened. I know they took baby to the priest to get circumcision, um, but I don't know if there was like a separate place for circumcisions or how that worked, but we could definitely say from that point on, she did not go back to the sanctuary. She was deemed unclean and she was unable to touch anything that was um, holy, that had a, a holy purpose. Um, and we'll get into what happens if anybody who was in an unclean state did. Um, but I will say that, you know, um, you can see in the scriptures that Mary took Yahawashai for his circumcision on the eighth day with, with Yahweh Joseph. But let's go to verse five. And if she bear a maid child, then she shall be unclean two weeks as in her separation. And she shall continue in the blood of her purifying three score and six days. So if you have a female child, you are unclean 14 days. And again, I don't know why it's broken up like this. So it's seven days for the boy, and then now it's 14 days initially for the girl. Maybe one day Yahweh will enlighten me with why it's separated like that. But then she's supposed to continue in her time of separation 
for three score, which is 60 days, and six days. So giving you a total of 66 days that she's continuing and her time of separation at 66 to 14, you get 80 days total. So why is it essentially two times longer for a girl than for a boy? I can tell you biblically, there's no specified reason as to why. I can tell you that in the book of Jubilee, um, it says that it gives a, a reason that because the man was made um, like a week before the woman, which is a lie because if you go back and read Genesis for yourself, that's not how it worked. Now Eve was, um, man was made and then later Adam was made and then Eve was made not too long afterwards. So if you don't know, now you know, okay? Um, and I will tell you from my personal experience that the most high knows what he's doing. He knows what he's talking about. So for me, my experience, and I need to hurry because my phone is going to die here soon. Um, I, the way it worked for me is that I had four boys, boom, 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 four boys. And all of them, the bleeding stopped within the 41 day time frame. Then I had a girl. Baby number five was a girl. And it took a long time for me to stop bleeding. Uh, I think I bled close to, but not not all the way, close to the full 80 days. It was just, it would not stop. So my baby five, six, and seven were all girls, and they all had the same result of bleeding almost that entire time. And then I had baby number eight, which is a boy, boom. Bleeding stopped within the 90 days. I mean, within the 41 days. Bleeding stopped within the 41 days. So what that tells me is that hormonally, there is a difference. And we know that. Hormonally, there is a difference um, in what your body is doing and how it is um, nourishing and changing for a boy versus a girl. And for whatever reason, the increase of hormones that you're having for a girl results in longer blood loss okay just holistically now since then i had a lot of bleeding issues and i started using herbs after my son because even though i had done i had gotten done in the first 41 days i was still having intermittent random spotting that was not normal so i was and i had long longer periods so i was looking for a solution and i was dealing and i started dealing with herbs as far as herbal baths and those um resulted in a stronger uterus and um the ability to heal faster so when i had babies um eight, babies 9 and 10 i didn't bleed as long i didn't go the, the almost the whole 80 days because medicinally, I was doing things to make my um, uterus more strong and get better results. So I would say that's why I say holistically, if you don't do anything, your body is going to respond in that manner. But I was just having so many issues, and I noticed that those herbs 
me healing faster after a baby was a byproduct of using the herbs for um, routine menstrual issues, okay? Um, so let's go to the verses 6 and 7 of verse, I mean, of chapter 12. So Leviticus chapter 12, verses 6 and 7. And when the days of her purifying are fulfilled for a son or for a daughter, she shall bring a lamb of the first year for a burnt offering and a young pigeon or turtle dove for a sin offering unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation unto the priest who shall offer it unto, I'm sorry, who shall offer it before Alahayim and make an atonement for her and she shall be cleansed from the issue of her blood. This is the law of her that hath born a male or a female. So I've asked, I've been asked, like, why is it a sin offering? Why do we have to give a sin offering after after having a baby? Is there some sort of sin in it? Well, the answer is, la. That's it's a blessing. We know that, but. The reason for the sin offering is, okay, and you'll see this in chapter 15 also, okay, the law is to attend a holy convocation on each Shabbat. Therefore, when you're unclean for extended periods of time, you're in violation of that law. And when you're, and when you are seven days unclean, um, or more than seven days unclean, you're guaranteed to miss a Shabbat service, therefore being in violation of a law and therefore would be in need of a sin offering. Okay, so that's the reason. But we see that it, the sin offering can be a lamb of the first year. And if you're not able to afford that, then you can bring two turtles, the turtles being turtle doves or two young pigeons to make an atonement. So these are obviously lawful animals, so you can definitely eat turtle doves, doves, and you can definitely eat pigeons. So those are the two of the birds that I referenced in the eating laws that we know we can for sure eat because they are lawful birds for making offerings. Now, let me go back and go kind of do like an overview of some other questions I've been asked about in the past and um, kind of how do you manage having a baby and and being obedient to the law, okay? So I will say the concept of, well, should dad be with you? And I would say, um, if you guys, if that's what you want, then sure. Uh, I will say historically, the men were not in attendance of a child's birth. They were outside of the tent and the midwives. And I would encourage you to get a midwife. I would encourage you to get a doula. I would encourage you to get a postpartum doula. Okay, all of those things are very um, needed. And a lot of times we place more emphasis on our financials. So, you know, if you have insurance, you know you're pregnant, call your insurance company and see about the possibility of getting a, having a midwife. Um, there are practices that have midwives on their staff and they might be supervised by the doctors, but the 
midwives are the ones that you know you see on a monthly bi-weekly and then weekly basis and then they're the ones that deliver but they fall under the supervision of a doctor so that is an option if you want to have a midwife and can't afford a private midwife obviously some wives midwives in um certain areas they'll be willing to barter and trade so maybe you don't have all of the money but there are some services that you can provide the midwife or a product that you can provide the midwife and they might be willing to um, barter in that regard so you have to ask there's no one size fits all but um and the same thing with doulas um you know and some hospitals are getting doula programs to make them more accessible for mothers but you know if you don't want a c-section um a doula is the best way to try and um give yourself a leg up pardon that's kind of like a pun but it's not intended it's just a figure of speech that it'll give you a leg up in like not having a c-section because you look at the rates do research on a doula but people who have doulas have a much lower rate of c-section and you know talk to your doula about what you want ahead of time meet with her because i will say from my experience that it helps to have an advocate for you in those times where you cannot advocate for yourself so if your doula knows that you want to try this or you want to try that and you guys have talked about things when the time comes and the doctor comes in and says well we want to do it like this the doula can step in and say well can we try and do it like such and such because this is in the birth plan and this is what we discussed and that's really what she wants and in my experience blah 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 and not to say all hospitals are respectful of doulas but you know it just helps to have another person who can advocate and speak for you in a way that is knowledgeable it does it helps okay so i'm i'm a wholehearted advocate for having somebody there with you that knows the ins and outs of childbirth not to say that dad is not valuable dad is abba is very valuable but he doesn't have the expertise of delivering babies or birthing positions that a doula would have so it's just another layer of support um but yes dads can attend um but know this if dad attends and dad um holds baby and dad touches mom which is perfectly fine he's going to be unclean until the evening there's no getting around it but more than likely he's not planning on attending a holy convocation so it's not really an issue okay because really when we're dealing with uncleanness it deals with um attending holy convocations uh as a when we're talking about touching somebody who's unclean okay um now but when we're dealing with the person who's actually bleeding vaginally or who's actually having a running issue in their skin in some way shape or form then you're talking about being them being set apart for that time frame for that whatever time frame and we'll go into Leviticus 15 which will give you a better better idea in my next episode but um now one thing um 
probably most men wouldn't most men in the truth wouldn't want to if you're having a water birth wouldn't want it to be in the water because i've seen that like on facebook that some men are in the water with their wives while they're laboring and while they deliver and therefore coming in contact with the um, uterine blood and such through the water now most men probably wouldn't men who are in the truth wouldn't want to do that because they're coming in contact with the blood there's no law about blood for childbirth but we could we could associate it and go with the worst case scenario that if the man because in verse when we go to chapter 15 it talks about if the man gets the menstrual blood on him by accident then he is unclean for seven days so I would say just to be on the safe side if dad does come in contact with the blood from delivery um, and he does you know get in the tub with you and help rub your back and all that stuff and help deliver baby then it would be a safe bet for him to follow that law of being unclean for seven days okay but most men are not doing that they're just in attendance and you know like I said if they touch you you know that first day then you know they might be they're gonna be unclean to the evening um and they would and they wouldn't be in attendance of any holy convocation. So, but with that being said, um, you know, it is very important that moms, especially Israelite moms, we have a high rate of fetal mortality. We have a high rate of postpartum mortality that, you know, we're getting good care. So a lot of times Abbas will need to step up and make sure that the mommies or amas are getting the care that they need, whether it's follow-up care, whether it's just eating food or, you know, getting help to go to the bathroom or take a shower or whatever the case may be. And so there will be more times where they will come into contact with moms, especially in the first few days where, you know, there's a lot that needs to be done and they're not, moms are just not up to it physically the same way they would be if they hadn't had a baby. So, you know, the the important thing is to understand that, you know, medical necessity supersedes um, the importance of not being unclean, okay? And there's nothing wrong with being unclean um, from time to time. But, But we are supposed to, and that includes the men, they are supposed to... Um, be clean for holy convocations. They should still, especially, you know, they're supposed to attend a holy convocation. So, you know, once mom and baby are all good, they should still be making an attempt to stay separate um, when it's time to, prior to the time of the Shabbat coming. And therefore, they can have um, a holy Shabbat, a holy, clean, set apart Shabbat, and, you know, attend service and whatnot. And um, is it challenging for mom? Yeah, it can be challenging for mom to be left with baby by herself after, you know, only being home for a week or what have you. And then Abba needs to go and have you go to the Kadash or go to the Shabbat service or, you know, Passover, whatever the case may be. You know, if 
so those are one of those things that you guys have to discuss you know are you up to it like are you physically up to it being able to take care of you and baby and not does it feel like you're being abandoned no you've got to be objective and reasonable and know that you know um his desire your husband's desire to please the most high and to do what the law says doesn't have anything to do with his care love and affection for you okay they're separate um and like i said if there are medical issues that necessitate him being there then that's going to be the priority but if it's just because you need like you're not sure about this then it's only i'm gonna say this it's only a few hours you can do it you're strong and you're gonna have to do it at some point so you might as well just tear that band-aid off and get it done and start getting acclimated um and this is a, from a woman speaking from plenty of experience having had 11 babies and knowing that you know um my husband will go and, and be in attendance to these um holy days so yeah it can be a lot especially if you have little one if you have little ones and but ideally abba can take the little ones with him so that's why you know if you can be set apart and not have them be unclean with you then he goes and you have just time and some little bit of peace and quiet for just you and baby for a little while so it can be a blessing in that regard too like you can just be like oh i don't have the little one pulling at the baby and saying he wants to do that and hanging on me and bouncing and getting into everything and i just don't feel like dealing with all that and abba can take that time to take baby or little little guy or little girl with him to the holy convocation and you guys can get some time okay um but like i said so that's just generally for a normal recovery but obviously if there's things there's complications that would require a longer time frame for you needing to um help and um then he would want to stay and help um and then also just remember we didn't do these things alone and that's where we have a lot of problems now is because we're trying to do all of everything alone we're independent we're autonomous and we won't ask for help and we are not going to have anybody come in and help and that's where it's very anti-biblical because in a biblical setting you would have people who would support you other women that would come family members because we lived with our families we live close by our families we live right next door or right on top you know just depending on the structure of the house and that's what we're missing and that also will be another contributing factor to you know these deaths that we're having because there's nobody to help and to say you know what that's not right i've done this before like mom me personally i know i've done this 11 times so when my daughters go to have babies and i'm there to help them and if something's not right no 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 we're calling the doctor but when we're new moms and we don't know and we're second guessing everything and what might be wrong just making a big deal out of it now you have somebody to say no 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 you're right let's go see um but and you have somebody to help and you have somebody to, to help with the diaper changes and making sure you're getting your showers and making sure you're getting your food and, and making sure you know and this is one thing i wish i would have done is you know i wish i before leaving ohio i would have been uh had a more organized structure set in place for you know us as women supporting each other 
in this time where, you know, we're not able to do it for our own families, you know, I take and had a rotating schedule of Aquafi and delivering food and meals to the family. You know, I, there would, I did what I could do when I could do it. But had I been more organized, we would have been a bunch of people. There would have been more people doing what they could do when they could do it in a more organized fashion. And it didn't just fall on one person to do things. Um, and so they would, all the families would have had support. So if you had the ability, even if they, and just this, listen to this, even if they're not Yasha Allah, well, the thing about it is if you're all Yasha Allah, you're all following the same eating laws and you're all eating off, off clean stoves. So that's one challenge. But if you can express to these people who maybe family members that want to help and be like, I have these, these restrictions. Maybe they can come to your house and cook for you. Um, or maybe and or, or just help tidy up or help in some other capacity. Maybe that's just not food related. But or maybe there's just restaurants that they could buy something for you and the family and bring it over to you and still be in compliance and still be helpful. There's plenty of ways to do these things. But I think it's really important that we as Yasha Allah support each other um, after having babies and um, the families and just in aiding um, with the weight that requires, which is the weight of the change that each household goes through when a new baby comes there's a time of adjustment adjustment and so you know don't be afraid to ask for help plan ahead cook extra meals freeze them if you can i know it can be difficult but it will be beneficial in the long run especially if your husband doesn't like to cook but train your children too like those boys you know sometimes the men might have a different difference of opinion but it's very important that the boys the men the young men come up understanding how to and knowing how to cook and clean for themselves because the fact of the matter is is that at some point they're going to have a wife and their wife is going to have a baby or some other medical emergency in which they need to go to the hospital and you, if you have more than one child, you're going to need to know how to take care of that child. You're going to need to know how to cook, not only for yourself, but maybe even for children, if there's children involved. And some men will, some men will say, well, I'll just have more than, wife, one, more than one wife. But I'll tell you this, when it comes on, um, on a monthly basis, women's cycles do tend to sync up if they're in close proximity to each other. So there's been cases where I've been living in close proximity with other females and three of us have been unclean at the same time. Three of us that were the main ones that were doing the cooking uh, were unclean. So my children, my boys, my older ones, they know how to cook. Um, and the girls, they're the younger ones and they are learning how to cook um, because you know, it was out of necessity, but it's also out of convenience and delegating and them being able to operate as independent individuals. So they know how to wash clothes. They know how to clean. They know how to cook so that they are not reliant on a woman to do it. And, and when they do get wives, if there's something happens, their the wife could die. Their wife could have medical emergency. I've been hospitalized obviously more than once because I've had 11 children, but you know, life still goes on and they need to know how to um, cope with life.
And like I said, if you can't afford it, do it. Get a postpartum doula. She's one of those people who come in and you're paying her and she helps check in on you, check in on breastfeeding and how baby's doing. Then she helps with food, cooking meals. She helps with cleaning the house. She helps with the children. Um, it's just like having, I would say like, I guess a servant for, um, you know, a couple days a week, well, however much you can pay, arrange for her to come. Um, but it is invaluable. So I've never been blessed to be able to do it, but I would love to do it. Um, if I would able to, um, but again, you got to with the beautiful thing with midwives and doulas is sometimes they will be able to work on a barter system with you. So even if you don't have the money financially, you might be able to make some sort of arrangement and where you can both be um, compensated or serviced. Maybe service is a good word. So I think that wraps up Leviticus chapter 12. It wraps up, wraps it up as far as I can think of so just be you know it might especially with a female a little girl it does it is a long time but just try to be optimistic it's a long time to be set apart it's a long time to not cook it's a long time to be dependent on somebody else to um do things for you but try to be optimistic try to plan ahead to make it as comfortable as possible for you to make sure you have snacks um to make sure you have all the things that need make sure you have um meals pre-made in the freezer um all of that good stuff you know all of your supplies and everything that you'll need like if you can stock up on it and that would be great it, it makes your life a whole lot easier you don't have to rely on somebody else to do things for you um and if you can make you know even like a little hot plate or something in your room or a little microwave although i don't really highly recommend microwaves but maybe for a couple months couple weeks it might be beneficial for you um, and there are some awesome frozen dinners that are healthy. They cost a little bit more, but they're well worth it. And they taste yum. So things like that can be done to make things a little easier. Think outside the box. Don't just go with the status quo of how you did it in the past or how mom did it. Think for yourself and think about how you can be best, uh, how you can best serve yourself and your family to be obedient to the law statutes and commandments of the most high and how he says you're supposed to be set apart for these time frame after having a baby um and obviously you have doctor's appointments yeah you need to go 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 don't put those um off you know like make sure you are keeping good track of your health you know if something doesn't feel right during your labor labor and delivery experience make it be known and um, communicate with your husband. Um, I would say, you know, he's going to be your, your, your advocate if you don't have anybody else. So have those conversations with him. And when you have your birth plan, talk to him about it. Um, and so hopefully and write all, write out your birth plan. Um, it might not go as you desire, but if you have it written out, people can know what you do want, because let me tell you this, there are times where you cannot talk. There are like, I, like right now, I don't know. I can't talk, but there are times where you cannot vocalize because you are in so much pain and they, you're the staff might get a little bit annoyed with you because you can't answer the question. So it's really good if your husband knows all of your information and it's really good 
if you have things written out because I have gotten to the hospital and I have annoyed people because I was in so much pain. I could not express myself. I couldn't tell them my birth date until after the contraction passed, but I was in going so fast that contractions were coming too fast to recuperate. So, you know, you never know what's going to happen. So having everything right now is super good. And talking to everybody, talking to your doctor, talking to your midwife, talking to your doula, talking to everybody so everybody knows what your hopes are. And just be aware that things can go wrong. Things can go not according to plan, but you can still have a good birthing experience and I would also advocate that you educate yourself in regards to pregnancy labor delivery post delivery (laughs) and recovery there's a lot do the classes I know some people are not on the classes but the classes educate yourself because the more you know the more comfortable experience you're going to have especially if you're a first time mom because everything can go so fast sometimes and if you're in a lot of pain you can't really express it and if you don't know what's going on it's added stress the more stress you have in your delivery process it increases your likelihood of having a c-section and you don't want that okay so there's I mean you know what maybe one of these days I can just have a class just on expectations of pregnancy and labor and delivery um because that can be a class in and of itself. So I will stop right here um, because there's so much more information that can be given just in like pregnancy terms. I have a feeling that I think I just need to do its own class. So with that being said, I'm going to say Shalom. I'm losing my voice. Shalom Lakan Aquafian. Peace be unto y'all ladies. And Shalom. Peace. This is a supplemental segment. It was pointed out to me that I had overlooked talking about um, miscarriage and stillborn births um, or even spontaneous miscarriages, you know. Um, uh, and with and also with that, I will say abortion. Now, bear with me because there's not a whole lot on these topics, but I'm gonna give you the best that I can. When dealing with chapter 12 of Leviticus, I can get into like the stillborn um, a little bit, Um, but first I'll say like as far as miscarriage and abortion, those are not covered, well, to a great extent, those are not covered in the scriptures. A definitely not abortion like who would kill their baby um, and their answer was gonna be no one was going to kill their baby and they well, obviously we didn't have the same type of medical technology which would detect um, any type of issues that might cause alarm nowadays but given the value of life I would venture a guess to say that even if there were those methods of detection that 
um, there wouldn't be a whole lot of abortions being utilized as an option to treat or cope with those problems, okay? So with abortion, I'll, I'll say there is no biblical answer. Like, I can't tell you it'll be 41 days or 80 days. More than likely, most women have abortions um, in the first trimester, which would fall in an area or category where you have, um, you know, a fetus that is not viable and therefore it would probably fall into a category similar to miscarriage. Um, but I will also say that um, as a declaration that abortion shouldn't even be on the table because like I said, it is killing a life. Um, and what is the penalty for killing? For killing is, is death. So basically by going and you know, killing your unborn child by choice because of, you know, maybe bad choices or decisions that you've made or uh, bad decisions and selections of, you know, fathers. Because a lot of times, usually what happens that I've seen as of late in the Israelite world or community is that women will find a man and rush into marriage not knowing that man then they come together, they create a life, and within that one to two months, maybe even, I'll give it four months, within that four month time frame, now they're living together and they're seeing and not, they're seeing how each other are and they're not getting along and they want to, one or both of them wants to end the relationship and then boom, they're ending the relationship, but there's this life that's been created. And then the woman is like, I don't wanna be a single mother and I don't wanna be with him. I'm gonna kill this baby. And then it's up to somebody who has a little bit of calm and um, ability to help guide the sister spiritually to try to come in and interject and say, you know, that is not what we do. You know, if you don't want the baby, the best option is to one, give the baby to the father. If the father doesn't want the baby, then number two um, is to give the baby up for adoption, preferably to um, other woke Israelites, um, because there's a lot of women out here, Aquathian, that are not able to conceive and desperately want a baby and would be happy to take your baby off of your hands. But if that's not an option for whatever reason, then, you know, going to an adoption agency is more righteous and lawful than killing your baby. Okay, so that is covered. Now, let's go into some of the more intricacies. And I'm going to this verse. It might not really seem like it applies, but I'm going to hopefully bring it together for you. And that it says it's Exodus 21 verses 22 through 25. So Exodus 21 verses 22 through 25. And it says, if men strive and hurt a woman with child so that her fruit depart from her and yet no mischief follow, he shall be surely punished according to the woman's husband will lay upon him and he shall pay as the judges determine. And if any mischief follow, 
Then shalt thou give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burning for burning, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. All right? So, most people kind of have a general idea of what this means, but it really doesn't give a really clear explanation as to what this means or, or what it's trying to say. So, to give you a better understanding, if you go to the Septuagint, which is the Greek version of Torah. However, there are some versions of the Septuagint that will contain um, the prophets and even some of the Apocrypha, but, or the Apocrypha. But um, since we're in Exodus, it doesn't really matter. It'd be in both, right? So, but with that being said, it, it is the Greek translation of it. And um, it has, um, when it's translated into English, because of the words that it uses, um, there's a Hebrew word that, um, you know how it has like little points on different letters and with this, each points, the vowel points, it creates a new word. Well, within Exodus 21, 22, and 23, there's one of those words that, um, at some point, the vowel points were left off, and it cre- it came- became in a different word. But when you look in the Greek, the original word word is there in Greek, so that's how you can can get a better understanding of it. Even though it's written in another language and then being tra- translated into English, it's gone from Hebrew to Greek to English. But there's a remnant there that was lost in the Hebrew translation. Okay, Ooh, so. If, so let me read the um, the translation for the Septuagint for the for specifically focusing on verses 22 and 23. It says, "If men quarrel and one strike a woman with child and she miscarry indeed, but live herself, he shall be answerable for so much damage as the woman's husband shall require, and as arbiters shall award." But if her death ensue thereupon, he shall render life for life. Basically, what it, what it is we're getting into is that a woman is miscarrying because of two men are having a fight. And in the middle of that fight, they either on purpose or accidentally, more than likely accidentally, strike the woman who is pregnant. Um, and more than likely, it's in her belly, but it doesn't have to be. Um, it's just the, f- the fact that the strike then um, causes her to labor, to go into labor. Or even at the time of delivery, if there's um, some problems, because obviously, like I said, there's not the same technology. Although you could hear if the heartbeat was, was um, going. So let's say, you know, she got injured, everybody saw it, and then she still carried for a little longer, and then had the baby but then when that baby was delivered then they saw that there was injuries to the baby um then they can come back into these men or um and say hey you guys caused these injuries um presumably it's not her husband that is one of the two men but um you know like you guys like this this baby is now injured and it's due to and we can say that you guys were fighting and you hit struck her and now we have an injured or even dead baby, something a baby that didn't survive because of presumably the injuries that it sustained, and it wasn't able to um, support itself outside of the womb. 
because of the injuries. Or, I mean, there's so many different variables based on this um, scripture itself. So, but let me try to kind of give you a little bit more insight because basically when, what it's saying is that the woman miscarries and they're going to be answerable for damages that be required. So what that is getting into based on commentaries is the fact that, and I'm saying commentaries, you can go to Josephus and Philo and they kind of give you more insight. But what it's saying is, is that a baby, a fetus goes through growth, right? So with that growth, you have varying stages of viability. So depending on what stage that fetus was when injury occurred um, and if it caused like immediate death. So like I said, okay, so maybe, you know, the woman is only 16 weeks pregnant, you know, in no way, shape or form is that baby going to be able to survive outside of the womb without medical assistance. Now, of course, we have more medical assistance now, which would make it possible but I think from what I can recall I think it's in like the 22 week 23 weeks is like the earliest I could be wrong I could be wrong but you know um you're getting into severe disabilities and challenges when you're getting earlier and earlier into the you know the um fetal life so with that being said if a fetus that is not viable unable to live outside of the womb and essentially not fully formed because they don't have everything that they need in order to live independently outside of the mother so what they do is what was done was the judges based a value or placed a value based on the stage of pregnancy so of course the further along the woman was in pregnancy the more um, the increase and the more fine that that person or those men would have received as a penalty for inflicting um, <clears throat> this blow to this woman that was pregnant and therefore causing her um, the loss of her child and the man obviously because it's a husband and a wife so on the flip side of that you have a baby that would um, come out and be viable. Um, so a, a baby that was in a later stage and that had the potential of being, if, the, if it had been delivered, might have been able to sustain itself outside of the womb independently, maybe with some, some assistance, but still independently. So if that were the case, then that's when you get a life for a life so then like I was saying like I was saying um, then you have the other option of well okay so maybe the baby didn't die but there was an injury sustained to the baby the fetus in utero and of course you don't know until baby comes out so baby comes out and that's when it says okay so baby might be alive but there's damage and then that's when you're gonna re go to those an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, hand for a hand, foot for a foot, foot um, burn a life for a life. That's when you're getting into all of those different scenarios is what you're talking about. A life that was viable outside 
of the uterus. So, um, I say all that to say that when you're dealing with a stillborn, I would tend to kind of put it into those categories. So you have one, the ones that are viable outside of the baby's womb. Um, and me, my personal opinion is that even if the baby is stillborn, if the baby would have been viable outside the womb, um, it would count as a delivery of a, either a boy or a girl. Some people, and this is one of these things you might have to discuss with your husband and even go to your elders about to discuss the intricacies. Because some people might say, well, yeah, it might have been able to sustain itself outside of the womb. However, it died in utero, never took a, lot, a breath, therefore never received life. Therefore, it wasn't a real baby. Okay, therefore would fall into Leviticus chapter 15, 25. So I will tell you, I will refer you to my uncleanness episode covering chapter 15 in which we get into Leviticus um, 15, 25 and 28 is where um, that would come in. So let me kind of wrap it up and kind of make it as crystal clear as possible. Um, and, and it's not crystal clear at all. So <laughs> bear with me. Okay, so if you have a miscarriage or a stillbirth and the baby would not have been viable, then it would fall under Leviticus chapter 15, verses 25 through 28. Okay, um, if you have a baby that is viable, a fetus that is viable and born um, as a stillborn at a time where it would have been able to survive had it been living, then you need to refer to your husband or your elders it is my personal opinion that it would fall into the category of is it a boy or girl and following the directions of Levit Leviticus 12 based on that. Also, um, I don't think I ever mentioned twins. If you have twins, obviously it's just one. If you have identical twins or two boys or two girls, you're going to just follow the um, protocol for having a boy or girl. But if you have fraternal twins, one boy, one girl. You're going to go with the longer option, which is the girl, because you did have a girl. So um, even though you had a boy, you still had a girl. So you're going to go by default with the longer of the two. But so that was a very side note. But going back to I don't like I don't want to keep forgetting things. So going back to, um, you know, you need to just find find out whether or not they're going to say that, yes, you need to follow Leviticus 12. Um, because it could have sustained itself outside of the womb or no, you need to just go ahead and go with Leviticus 20, 15 verses 25 through 28 because the baby never lived and therefore was never alive, therefore was never really baby. Um, some people will say that. And then you have the third thing. What happens is, you know, the baby is born and there's complications at birth and then baby dies. So then that would definitely, you know, if baby ever took a breath, then you definitely know it's going to fall into chapter 12 without question. Then you'd have to go, even though you don't have your baby anymore, you still have to go through either the 41 days or the 80 days. And of course, during that time, you're separated and you're mourning. So, uh, and you probably have like a little funeral or something to attend also. But, you know, um, I did want to kind of get cover those things. 
And if you don't understand what you're supposed to be doing during separation, again, I'm going to refer you to my episode regarding um, uncleanness in chapter 15. And it lays it all out for you, okay? So definitely hit that one up. If you listen to chapter 15, there will be some repetition because I want to make sure that, you know, people who are looking for this information, they may not know where to look and they might head to chapter 12 first because it has to deal with the baby. But um, that way they can hear it here and then I'm going to refer you to chapter 15 and you're going to hear it there also. So I hope that answers all the questions in full in regards to pregnancy.